Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the No Low Ballers podcast. I'm Logan Medish of High Caliber History, your host, and I'm joined around the table. We've got Dan from Go Wild, Alan from Gunbroker, and Joe, the board chair for the Daisy Firearms Museum, or the Daisy Museum, however you want to call it. Uh, what, what's correct for that, Joe? The Daisy Air Gun Museum. Daisy Air, see, yeah. I, yeah you know, thanks I, for having me. Absolutely. We're glad to have you. you. We're here in Rogers, Arkansas. Um, we, we spent some time going through the museum. Now we're here in the factory, uh, and there is just so much to talk about Daisy, um, especially, you know, we're getting into the holidays now, and Daisy is, is an iconic holiday gift. Um, I think we all got a Daisy at some point for Christmas, you know. And probably still have it. And st- I still have mine. I still have mine. Yep. I was not allowed. It was well, from my mother's side. My father had a BB gun and wanted me to have a BB gun. My mother would not allow it. Really? No. Well, maybe it's for the best. <laughs> Making up for lost time now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but so, you know, Daisy is is a storied company. There's a lot of history to Daisy. Um, and, of course, obviously, it is an iconic air gun company, but that is not the genesis of Daisy. So tell us, Joe, where where does Daisy start? How does it start? And, and what is that product that you wouldn't expect to associate with Daisy. We have a very strange, old, confusing history, but you're right. It, it is part of our company. It's part of our brand. It's about what people know about us, and, and handing down that legacy is, is so important to families and, and also to our company. And uh, you really can't talk about Daisy unless you tell the story about three companies. There okay. was a bucket and cistern company called Markham Manufacturing, there was an air gun company in Plymouth, Michigan, and we trace our history to Plymouth, Michigan, called the Plymouth Air Rifle, air Rifle Company that was owned by uh, Clarence Hamilton. Now, Hamilton also invented an all-steel windmill, and he founded the Plymouth Iron Windmill Company. And so if you, you think about those three companies, Markham was making buckets and cisterns, anything out of wood that would hold water. Mm-hmm. And somebody came up with the bright idea of let's take this flat barrel stave before we bend it and let's cut it in the shape of a rifle and put a little brass barrel in one end of it and make it an undercocking lever and and make one of the earliest air guns known in 1886. Uh, They took it to uh, Chicago to a a trade show, probably a hardware distributor show. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we'll take a bunch of them, but you got to name it the Chicago model. And so they did. At the same time, Clarence Hamilton with the Plymouth Iron Windmill Company makes a little wooden gun that he thinks is a better looking gun and a better shooting gun. And then, just like he did with windmills, which, which he said, I can make a better one out of all steel, he made a little steel BB gun, which is the wire stock or the skeleton stock gun mm-hmm. that everybody knows as the first Daisy. So those three companies kind of played together to create Daisy because... Hamilton said, I might be able to sell 50 guns a week, but I can't make that many. Mm-hmm. He takes his little steel gun, and he goes to his windmill company that he founded, gives it to the general manager and says, I think we could give these away for everybody who buys a steel windmill, or I think we could even sell them, but I can't make them, but we have everything here. We can, we can sweat, we can bend metal, we can whatever. And so uh, he gives it to the general manager who shoots it in the wastebasket <laughs> and likes it a lot. He takes it outside. And by the way, to cock this gun, you pull up on the rear sight, and it's hinged 
kind of where the stock meets the receiver area. Okay. And then you would drop a lead-sized BB shot down the muzzle of the gun, and it would stick because the barrel was swaged. Mm-hmm. So that's how he goes through the process of shooting this little gun. That pulled back a piston. The piston head was bronze, wrapped with candle wicking, dipped in beeswax to make an airtight seal in the, in the pump tube. Okay. Takes it outside, shoots a shingle, splits it in half, and he turns to Clarence Hamilton, and he says a saying that was popular as early as 1880, which is, boy, it's a daisy. There you go. And <laughs> I tell kids today we could be the awesome radical air gun company today, <laughs> but the saying wasn't that in 1880, it was a daisy. Right. My dad used to say it's a doozy, but that was after the Duesenberg car was so right. cool. Mm-hmm. You know, so all these things have been around for a while, but it's a daisy. I haven't heard that one in a while. Yeah. That's so. that's so cool, and and I think there are companies like I love the concept of oh we'll you know sell a wind sell a windmill and you know buy the windmill we'll give you the air gun and you know and people are still doing that today like there's I think there's a company in Florida right now mm-hmm. a roofing company if you buy a roof they're going to give you a turkey and an AR-15 yep so good combination <laughs> good combination yeah maybe we should do buy a buy a BB gun get a windmill I mean we could, we hey could go I back like in that. business yeah, yeah. <laughs> do it the other way around but right what's so interesting about this one is the promotional item took over. You know, it's yes. The, when I was younger, it was always, you know, open a savings account and get a, a free toaster. I mean, my my mother's kitchen was filled with utensils that, you know, things were printed on like, you know, th- uh, a gift from the first perpetual loan company or whatever. Mm-hmm. At no point did we want the bank to close to make a, you know, a, a carving fork where here the promotional item far surpassed the original brand. And that's just really interesting to me. Yeah. Well, and economically it worked because the year before this happened, they were selling $11,000 worth of windmills a year, which I, I, I guess was a lot of money mm-hmm. in, what, 1887. Uh, it, 1888, they were struggling, and, and their sales had dropped by about 30%. And these windmills, wow. they were like decorative windmills. They weren't No, no, they were um, they were to pump water. Oh, were they? Yeah, yeah. They, okay. No electricity then, so they were to pump water for yeah, your they, stock or okay. your family. I mean, 1880s, so people like really farm. weren't doing the pretty lawn decorative windmills. Well, 1880s, I thought, I, thought were, I saw some ad in the museum that was the smaller decorative. Well, we, we keep a little miniature windmill down there because the salesman made the comment when he was telling his story in 1930. He waited that long to tell this whole story. But he said, I used to buy the guns for 75 cents a piece. I tried to sell them for $2. I'd take a dollar. And he said, I, I had them on my buckboard with my miniature version of the all-steel windmill. Mm. Uh, the salesman sample. The salesman yeah. sample. Yeah. He had the salesman sample, and he had boxes of BB guns. And uh, he would also trade a gun to a farmer for room and board for himself and his horse over the weekend because he would ride out 100 miles, and that was pretty much all he could do mm-hmm. and he'd kind of cover that circuit and he didn't want to go home i mean just to go home you don't want to ride 100 miles on a horse right. and buggy just yeah. just to go home for the weekend so he'd find somebody to put him up in the barn but mm. yeah it's an unusual it's an unusual history and uh when i joined the company i started seeing the the phrase since 1886 mm-hmm. and i thought wait a minute windmill company 1882 first wire stock 1888 patented 1889 where's 1886 come from yeah so markham the bucket and cistern company that made a few little guns took them to a hardware show they get an order for a steel gun and they go can't make a steel gun we make barrels and so they went to daisy and said would you make two little steel guns for us to take and mark them to market to this customer and daisy agreed to do it then 
two of Daisy's executives started buying all the stock of Markham Company, and mm-hmm. I can't think of the year. I, w- I want to say around 2016, they owned 100% of Markham. Okay. And so they're helping their major competitor, who's right across the railroad tracks from them, but uh, they had the ability to make the steel gun, and Markham didn't. How about that? That's really neat. Yeah. And, and of course, Daisy, you know, we, we all picture the Red Rider because that's kind of the iconic gun that has gained the pop culture following. Uh, but there's so much more to Daisy and, and the different makes and models, like specifically the Model 25, right. um, which is kind of kind of a flagship model for you guys in a certain... I mean, if the Red Rider is the icon, the um, Model 25 might be the slightly less famous understudy. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> just about as common. Right. It just has a, not as good of a press agent. There you go, yeah. <laughs> What's, what's kind of interesting about what you're talking about is the mechanisms for these air guns, and we, we have today, if you look at them, what do we have? We have brake, lev- brake action, we have side cocking, under lever, all of those existed in the 1880s. Right. And Daisy made its first lever action gun in 1906, mm-hmm. and I think if you tore it apart, you'd say that's a lot like a Red Rider. I'm sure right. it's very, very similar you know, technology and mechanism. And then you're right, the Model 25 comes along in 1914. And it was built until the 60s still, right? Yeah, it was built until, oh, now you're testing me. I want to say it was built until 78, and then they brought it back in 86 for the company's centennial. Okay. And then Daisy Today had had so many people saying, wish we made the old 25, and, you know, turned that down many, many times, and then finally said, well, why don't we bring it back? And we brought it back, I think it was in 2009, and Mm -hmm. it's still in the product line, so... Very cool. It, it's a great old gun. Uh, Lefevre was the inventor of the technology of this gun. There was no other pump gun like that in the marketplace. Um, he contacted Daisy by letter from St. Louis. They went to see him. Uh, he, he pretty much said, I don't want to work for you. All I want to do is make this gun and sell it to you or sell you the design or sell you the patent, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he and did, the, though. He, he and how went, many years did he work for you then? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Gosh, I forget when he died in about 61, I think. So he, he worked a <laughs> long a while. time from 14 to 61, technically, maybe. He might have he might have quit a little before he passed away. but uh, Sounds like he quit every day, but he still showed up the next day. He did. He was kind of in the mood to go home every day. I don't work for anybody. I'm a designer. I work for myself. But then he was back there every day. And it's funny how that works. <laughs> there's some neat tangential stories like uh, Cass Huff who would be the grandson of the man who said the word, it's a daisy. Mm-hmm. He would also be the guy who moved Daisy from Plymouth, Michigan, to Rogers, Arkansas in 1958, World War II pilot, etc. He apprenticed with Lefevre. Okay. And okay. Lefevre would try to keep him on track. A young man just out of college asking lots of questions, and he's like, no, work on this. you know. But uh, Cass would actually find some old guns, and he would tag them. And he'd type them up on a typewriter, and he'd tag them to the gun. And uh, I think it was pre-war, they remodeled the lobby up in Plymouth, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And Cass says, my only input is this, but I'm going to insist. I want a four-inch shelf down the side of the wall from the front to the back, and I want to stand their guns up there in chronological order like soldiers. And he, he actually made the comment in about 1976, he said, that was the beginning of the museum collection. Okay. Lots of things donated since then. I, I, I personally, when people come in and go, wow, you guys have done a great job of amassing this collection, 
Uh, we inherited it. Mm-hmm. You know, Cass helped put it together, others over the year. Uh, they love their history. They understood it was going to be important to keep those things, and, and they did. You know, it's funny. This is about the third time I've heard a, a company's museum story that started with that same thing. We, we, put, we made a lobby display. Right. We yeah. showed some old products in the exactly. lobby, and it grew from there. Yep. Well, and then uh, Cass did, I want to say, probably a couple other things that, that kind of mattered to the museum collection. Uh, one was, um, back to Markham for just a second. So these two executives from Daisy are owning Markham stock, 100% of it. And Mr. Markham decides he's going to take his money and go to California and build buildings for the film industry and become a multi-billionaire, and he did. Mm-hmm. And then Daisy executives are holding this stock, and the Great Depression happens. And so they think, let's sell that stock to Daisy. So Daisy will own Markham, not us, the two executives. So they sell the two. They start calling Markham Gun King Guns. Okay. But the depression was tough on all companies, and the demand for the product was low. As they're coming out of the depression, Cass Huff says, I want to run an ad. And the ad says, send us $1, and we'll send you the new Daisy BB gun. You send us a dollar in your old gun. And okay. he said, people took advantage of us. We had guns come back that had been sitting in a barrel of water in the barn for 20 years. <laughs> but we also, he said, we got some beautiful old guns. You know, this was my dad's gun, my grandfather's. And they're old, and we didn't have many more. And he said, that added added to the collection. Yeah. So it was an interesting turning point, the depression for the museum and the collection, but also for Markham essentially going away and Daisy taking over those and calling him the, the king guns. Interesting. Yeah. That's neat. That's way more intricate, you know, than, than I would have expected the whole thing to be, right? And, and I'm sure we don't know all of it, but, you know. <laughs> you know it's actually very forward-thinking on Cass Huff's part, though. That, yes. That, one, it's a great way to drive new product and attention coming out of the Depression, but also having the, the foresight to think, and, you know, we should get some of these older models that don't exist anymore because there is a history of us there that we should we should own, at least. Right. Exactly. You know, and, and one of the things that I want to touch on here when you know everyone thinks red rider when they mm-hmm. think daisy um but of course there's also buck rogers right and there's kind of a, a interesting crossover right that gets us to are you thinking about jones buck jones there was buck rogers too the space pistol okay that's and that was a toy and, and that's a fun story too but yeah but I, I think you're thinking buck jones buck jones yeah was rogers a, was jones a pump you, know. <laughs> <laughs> you can call me whatever you want uh, it's a little pump gun, and uh, it, it kind of ties in. I think it ties in with Red Rider from two different angles, so keep me on track if I okay. get off the pace. <laughs> but Daisy in the 30s was naming guns for um, movie stars who were young boys who could ride a, sh- a horse and shoot a pistol. Mm-hmm. And you'd go to the serial movie every Saturday and pay a nickel to watch the next segment right before he jumped off a cliff, and you'd have to wait till next Saturday. You know, this this kind of situation. And a gentleman by the name of Steven Schlesinger, who was a genius in licensing long before anybody knew what a licensed product was, mm-hmm. uh, he had licensed the A.A. A. Milne characters, okay. which is Winnie the Pooh yep. and Tigger and Eeyore and Christopher Robin and all that bunch, for merchandising. Mm-hmm. And he saw uh, Fred Harmon's comic strip, Red Rider. He saw it in 400, 600 papers. He took it and got it syndicated in as many papers as you can imagine. Plus, he developed little big books and the movies. 
uh, we had Tommy Cook in town here about three months ago, and Tommy was the first kid to play Little Beaver in the movie. Oh, He's cool. now 93, <laughs> and he wow. came here and signed some autographs and things. It was so wonderful to meet somebody like that. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, they were naming these guns after kids. And Schlesinger says, you know, if you continue to do that, how do you know what these kids are going to grow up to do? Yep. And, and mm. they could, you know, their reputation could paint your company with a bad mark if they mm. were to do something disreputable. Yeah, imagine the Danny Bonanducci edition, <laughs> Daisy. <laughs> I'm glad you went somewhere, and I didn't. I probably would have done worse. But uh, well, yeah. I mean, you stop and think about things that different things that happened down the road that no one would ever have imagined. And so Schlesinger's proposal was: if you name a gun the Red Rider, and by the way, they wanted a pistol. He and Fred Harmon wanted Daisy to make a pistol. If you name the Red Rider pistol that the Daisy pistol a Red Rider. Uh, this character will always wear the wet, white hat in the movie. He'll always be the good guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll never do anything bad because essentially, not that you can control what he says. Fred controls it. But Fred isn't going to have him rob a bank. Right. You know, yep. He's the good guy. Sure. And so that was the whole reason. And you think about that and how that applies today. And some of the examples we all kind of laughed at. But uh, that was um, very forward thinking for about 1938. Yeah, definitely. Very so you said he had thinking. all the A.A. Milne characters mm-hmm. licensed. Mm-hmm. So are you telling me that Winnie the Pooh's little cork gun was a daisy? Are we breaking that news no. here today? <laughs> I don't okay. know what okay. that was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that would have been cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Schlesinger was very good friends with Cass Huff. Uh, they were like family. Uh, they got along very, very well. Uh, uh, Cass wrote wonderful words ab- about Stephen Schlesinger, and you know he said that the amount of not just the name Red Rider, but the amount of artwork that they were given for packaging and advertising and catalogs back then by Fred Harmon, he'd just illustrate whatever whatever you wanted. Right. Um, I met his son uh, in 2009, and then his son, I want to say, passed away in about 2018. When I met his son, uh, and I'd gone to Pagosa Springs, Colorado, he had a museum there of beautiful oil paintings that Fred Harmon had done. And uh, he showed me a gun on the wall, and he, he did say these words, take a picture of that gun, boy. That's the first Red Rider ever made that was given to my father. Mm. And I looked at it, and it was a first model Red Rider. It had a copper band and a copper muzzle band, and it was... It, it was a 1940 gun, no mm-hmm. doubt about it. Mm-hmm. But how do you know it's the first one? So I took a picture because he told me to, and I don't think he would let me not do it. <laughs> right. But fast forward about 10 years, he passes away. A guy I'd met in Pagosa called me and said, you need that gun for your museum. I said, eh, it's a first model Red Rider. They're nice. They're worth a couple hundred bucks. But we've got a first model. Somebody else can have it. Maybe the family wants it or something. Because you haven't seen the other side turn to the wall. So he goes down there that night, and he takes a picture of it, and it says, limited edition, one only, certified, had a gold star that had been stuck to it. It's not there anymore, but you could see it. And it was signed by Cass Huff, grandson of the man who said it's a daisy, Mm -hmm. and Bob Wesley, who was the man who reportedly took a gun in the back room, signed it, Red Rider brought it out to Schlesinger and Harmon and said, how about we make something like this? A little carbine, and and we put Red Rider on the stock. And they go, that's it. That's That's what we're going to make. So this gun that we have in our museum is not, it is a first edition, but it also 
is uh, prototypical. It's got some right. features in it, some welds and some rivets that aren't in, even in the first production guns. That's really cool. It's very cool. So we did a tribute to that gun and made some for the museum as a fundraiser. Yeah. And it is so rare when the family provenance story actually turns out to be reality. Yes. That's oh, the, God. That's the crazy Absolutely. Well, and, and that's the thing is uh, I talked to Norma, his wife, and I said, I, I need a provenance on this gun. Mm-hmm. And she was elderly, and she was really doing very well. And we set a date that July 4th of the next year, I would come out there and meet with her and this other guy I'd met out there that's kind of head of, he's involved in a lot of town politics and things, and, and with her, and we'd all go to dinner with our spouses or whatever. And uh, she passed away, I think it was in February, so mm. we didn't get to do that. But we'd set the date to go out there and commemorate all of this. Yeah. But, but still, wonderful to have the gun. And she told me, she said, I can't write a provenance. I don't know what, I don't know what you're talking about. Sure. And I mm. said, well, tell me the story. Just start telling me. When yeah. you first saw it, where was it? Did it ever move? Was it always there? Right. You know, when was it given to him? Were you there? Was your, you know, yeah. husband there? And uh, we created the provenance and, and uh, emailed it to her, printed it out on local stationery, and, and had a land company uh, notarize it with her presence. So nice. And then we lost her two months well, later. That's so. a shame. But what a great story. You know? Yeah, it and is And to a great have story. that gun and to know why it exists yeah well and, and speaking of great stories we have to talk a christmas story we do we do i mean uh, christmas yeah. is just around the corner it's just it around seemed the corner. like such a natural to sit down and talk about the red rider and it's a it's a, a landmark year for that too it's the 40th anniversary right yeah the movie was made in 1983 okay so tell mm-hmm. us what you guys are doing at daisy for the 40th anniversary well, we uh, had some guns laser engraved with the 40th anniversary message, and they're serially numbered from 0001 of 1100 to 1100 of 1100. Mm-hmm. Uh, through, it'll be exclusively available through the Daisy Museum. So, if I can say so, daisymuseum.com. So Absolutely. Yep. It'll be on We've there been by, there. If you're in town, highly recommend stopping <laughs> Do you guys by. ship out of there? Or? We do. We oh, ship okay. pretty much everything anywhere, except we're not allowed by law. I mean, there are yeah. some areas that you can't ship air guns to yeah but, um, so 40th anniversary numbered gun has a certificate that's numbered it does have the compass and sundial uh, or as ralphie says the thing that tells time <laughs> and uh you know uh, the daisy's gun that they made that year for that movie because gene shepherd who wrote the stories in god we trust all others pay cash and won the hickeys knights of golden memories which became the script for the movie A Christmas Story. So he'd written that, and he put in there that it's a Red Rider with a compass sundial. Mm-hmm. Comes to Daisy in 82, and Daisy's marketing director said, no, you're thinking of the Buck Jones model. And uh, see, I almost said um, the other You one. almost <laughs> said Buck Rogers. <laughs> I, I said, got you doing it. <laughs> we, Jones, we are Rogers, technically right. in Rogers, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, right. you, you know go. what, that's probably want to confuse I... the mud here a little more. But. Exactly. So uh, he said, I want a Red Rider with the compass and sundial. And our marketing director back then said, no, you're thinking of the Buck Jones mm-hmm. gun. Maybe you had both. Maybe you broke a stock and switched them. Right. And Shepard goes, you know, I don't care. It's in my movie that way. That's the script. I would encourage you to make the gun that way. So in 80 and 83 and 80, half of 84, they did. And if anybody has one like that and you believe it's old and original, they've been for sale at Walmart since then. Mm-hmm. Other people have made them. The museum's done. We mark our anniversary editions very 
very plainly, you know it's not original. Sure. It's got a big 25th anniversary on it or something. Yeah. But if you if you think you have an original, contact the museum. There's a lot number under the kind of under the forearm of the gun mm-hmm. on the outer pump tube. It'll be a letter and six digits, and we can we can decode that for you and tell you if it's really a 983 or 84 gun. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, Ellen, you're right. The The museum is awesome. We went through there, you know, uh, downtown Rogers. You, you, you can't miss the museum because it has the world's largest Daisy BB gun That's standing right. up outside the building. Yep. Uh, and, Dan, you asked a great question when, when we rolled up to the museum uh, wondering about the size of the BB. And so how big of a BB would it shoot? Ping pong ball size BB ball. BB. That's right. That's right. I mean, that would be a good shot. If it sh- well, yes, if yeah. it shot. I would not want to get hit by a ping pong ball. Why does he ball. always wink when he says, if it shot? <laughs> <laughs> I had a ping pong ball gun when I was a kid. There you go, yeah. Now, the, the museum is very cool. There's yeah. uh, there's a lot well, of great stuff. It, it brought back a lot of memories, you know, for me going through and, and seeing the stuff in there. And I think all of us pointed, well, except for Dan, whose mom was no fun. Yeah. All of us at some point pointed a case, went, hey, I either had that one or I still got that one. Exactly. Well, you yeah. know, and that's, a, that's the most important gun in there is your gun. When you walk in the front door and, you know, it used to be guys would walk in and they had the gun from the 30s or the 40s. Now people are walking in. I had that gun. They're standing in a 1970s display. Right. That, you know, but it makes sense. Yep. Sure. Time you marches know, on. Time marches on. But <laughs> the most important gun in there is your gun. Yeah. Your story. Yeah. It really is. Everybody's got one. And, you know, and, and talking about your gun, that's also something that we want to make sure people know is that if they've got uh, an old Daisy in the family that they're curious about in the history, they can get a hold of you at the museum and you can help them, you know, narrow down, you know, if they don't know what model it is, even you narrow down the model and help them narrow down the years. Like we were looking at this and you're like, Oh, well it had to have been after this year because they added this part and then they added the engraving. And so I think it's cool that, you know, even though it's not technically a legal firearm mm-hmm. um, and, and there's a lot of companies that do firearm histories yep. of the guns, but right. you can come and get your, your air gun history of your Daisy gun at the museum. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. I mean, this, this belongs to my 86 year old father-in-law. Um, the case I brought it down in is probably worth more than it is, but just, you know, going through this with Joe and finding out, um, you know, the age when it was made, knowing that it, it's probably the same age as my father-in-law. So it was probably a, a later purchase by either his dad or, or, or whatever. But mm-hmm. this is something that, you know, my nephew and, and, and niece will probably, you know, get someday from my father-in-law and it'll be, you know, continued cherished heirloom going down the road from there. Absolutely. And that's, so and thank really, you for that. Yeah. You know, and that's really, that's what it's all about with Daisy, yeah. right? I mean, that's, that's the introduction where you go here, here's your few, first BB gun. And this is where you begin to understand that all gun laws are an infringement. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. well, yeah. well, how about all gun safety is as important on this gun as it is yes. on a firearm. And if yes. you learn it, it's like riding the bike. Yes, that's absolutely. True. Nobody in this room would ever consider picking up this gun and swinging it around the show to each other. Yeah. Right. We wouldn't do it. We, exactly. we couldn't do it. Exactly. You couldn't make me do it. Yep. And that's well, important rules you learn with a BB gun. It is. Well, and I I'd mentioned a minute ago, time marches on. And at this point, time does march on. And we have marched marched out of time for the episode. Uh, but, Joe, we appreciate you being here and talking with us about the history of Daisy. Guys, thanks for, for joining me and, uh, and sitting around the table. 
Um, love what you're what you're doing here, Joe. There's just so much fun, so much history. Go buy yourself another daisy for Christmas, and and buy one for someone else in your family that uh, that needs a daisy. Appreciate you guys being here for this episode. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite platform, and we will see you right here next week on the next episode of the No Low Ballers podcast. <laughs>